Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked room today, didn't you? You tried. How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? Smee by A. M. Burridge. No, said Jackson with a shy little smile. I'm sorry, I won't play hide and seek. It was Christmas Eve, and there were fourteen of us in the house. We had had a good dinner, and we were all in the mood for fun and games. All that is, except Jackson. When somebody suggested hide and seek, there were loud shouts of agreement. Jackson's refusal was the only one. It was not like Jackson to refuse to play a game. Aren't you feeling well? Someone asked. I'm perfectly all right, thank you. He said. But he added with a smile that softened his refusal but didn't change it. I'm still not playing hide and seek. Why not? Someone asked. He hesitated for a moment before replying. I sometimes go and stay at a house where a girl was killed. She was playing hide and seek in the dark. She didn't know the house very well. There was a door that led to the servants' staircase. When she was chased, she thought the door led to a bedroom. She opened the door and jumped and landed at the bottom of the stairs. She broke her neck, of course. We all looked serious. Mrs. Fernley said, "How terrible!" And were you there when it happened? Jackson shook his head sadly. No, he said, but I was there when something else happened, something worse. What could be worse than that? This was," said Jackson. He hesitated for a moment. Then he said, "I wonder if any of you have ever played a game called Smee. It's much better than hide and seek. The name comes from It's Me, of course. Perhaps you'd like to play it instead of hide and seek. Let me tell you the rules of the game. Every player is given a sheet of paper. All the sheets except one are blank. On the last sheet of paper is written Smee. Nobody knows who Smee is except Smee himself or herself." You turn out the lights, and Smee goes quietly out of the room and hides. After a time, the others go off in search for Smee, but of course they don't know who they're looking for. When one player meets another, he challenges him by saying Smee. The other player answers Smee, and they continue searching. But the real Smee doesn't answer when someone challenges. The second player stays quietly beside him. Presently, they will be discovered by a third player. He will challenge and receive no answer, and he will join the first two. This goes on until all the players are in the same place. The last one to find Smee has to pay a forfeit. It's a good, noisy, amusing game. In a big house, it often takes a long time for everyone to find Smee. Perhaps you'd like to try. I'll happily pay my forfeit and sit here by the fire while you play. It sounds like a good game. I remarked. Have you played it too, Jackson? Yes, he answered. I played it in the house that I was telling you about. And she was there. The girl who broke. No, no," said someone else. He told us he wasn't there when she broke her neck. Jackson thought for a moment. I don't know if she was there or not. I'm afraid she was. I know that there were thirteen of us playing the game, and there were only twelve people in the house. And I didn't know the dead girl's name. When I heard that whispered name in the dark, it didn't worry me. But I tell you, I'm never going to play that kind of game again. It made me quite nervous for a long time. I prefer to pay my forfeit all at once. We all stared at him. His words didn't make sense at all. Tim Voos was the kindest man in the world. He smiled at us. This sounds like an interesting story. He said, "Come on, Jackson. You can tell it to us instead of paying a forfeit." Very well," said Jackson. And here is his story. 
Have you met the Sangstons? They're cousins of mine, and they live in Surrey. Five years ago, they invited me to go and spend Christmas with them. It was an old house with lots of unnecessary passages and staircases. A stranger could get lost in it quite easily. Well, I went down for that Christmas. Violet Sangston promised me that I knew most of the other guests. Unfortunately, I couldn't get away from my job until Christmas Eve. All the other guests had arrived there the previous day. I was the last to arrive, and I was only just in time for dinner. I said hello to everyone I knew, and Violet Sangston introduced me to the people I didn't know. Then it was time to go into dinner. That is perhaps why I didn't hear the name of the tall, dark-haired, handsome girl whom I hadn't met before. Everyone was in rather a hurry, and I'm always bad at catching people's names. She looked cold and clever. She didn't look at all friendly, but she looked interesting, and I wondered who she was. I didn't ask because I was sure that someone would speak to her by name during the meal. Unluckily, however, I was a long way from her at the table. I was sitting next to Mrs. Gorman, and as usual, Mrs. Gorman was being very bright and amusing. Her conversation is always worth listening to, and I completely forgot to ask the name of the dark, proud girl. There were twelve of us, including the Sangstons themselves. We were all young, or trying to be young. Jack and Violet Sangston were the oldest, and their seventeen-year-old son Reggie was the youngest. It was Reggie who suggested Smee when the talk turned to games. He told us the rules of the game just as I've described them to you. Jack Sangston warned us all. If you're going to play games in the dark, he said, please be careful of the back stairs on the first floor. A door leads to them, and I've often thought about taking the door off. In the dark, a stranger to the house could think they were walking into a room. A girl really did break her neck on those stairs. I asked how it happened. It was about ten years ago, before we came here. There was a party, and they were playing hide and seek. The girl was looking for somewhere to hide. She heard somebody coming and ran along the passage to get away. She opened the door, thinking it led to a bedroom. She planned to hide in there until the seeker had gone. Unfortunately, it was the door that led to the back stairs. She fell straight down to the bottom of the stairs. She was dead when they picked her up. We all promised to be careful. Mrs. Gorman even made a little joke about living to be ninety. You see, none of us had known the poor girl, and we didn't want to feel sad on Christmas Eve. Well, we all started the game immediately after dinner. Young Reggie Sangston went round making sure all the lights were off, except the ones in the servants' room and in the sitting room where we were. We then prepared twelve sheets of paper. Eleven of them were blank, and one of them had Smee written on it. Reggie mixed them all up. Then we each took one. The person who got the paper with Smee on it had to hide. I looked at mine and saw that it was blank. A moment later, all the electric lights went out. In the darkness, I heard someone moving very quietly to the door. After a minute, somebody blew a whistle, and we all rushed to the door. I had no idea who was Smee. For five or ten minutes, we were all rushing up and down passages and in and out of rooms, challenging each other and answering, "Smee, Smee." After a while, the noise died down, and I guessed that someone had found Smee. After a time, I found a group of people all sitting on some narrow stairs. I challenged and received no answer, so Smee was there. I hurriedly joined the group. Presently, two more players arrived. Each one was trying to, each one was hurrying to avoid being last. Jack Sangston was last and was given a forfeit. I think we're all here now, aren't we? He remarked. He lit a match, looked up the staircase, and began to count nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. He said, and then laughed. That's silly. There's one too many. The match went out, and he lit another and began to count. He got as far as twelve. Then he looked puzzled. 
There are thirteen people here, he said. I haven't counted myself yet. Oh, nonsense, I laughed. You probably began with yourself, and now you want to count yourself twice. His son took out his electric torch. It gave a better light than the matches, and we all began to count. Of course, there were twelve of us. Jack laughed. Well, he said, I was sure I counted thirteen twice. From halfway up the stairs, Violet sank and spoke nervously. I thought there was somebody sitting two steps above me. Have you moved, Captain Ransom? The captain said that he hadn't. But I thought there was somebody sitting between Mrs. Sangston and me. Just for a moment, there was an uncomfortable something in the air. A cold finger seemed to touch us all. For that moment, we all felt that something odd and unpleasant had just happened and was likely to happen again. Then we laughed at ourselves and at each other, and we felt normal again. There were only twelve of us, and that was that. Still laughing, we marched back to the sitting room to begin again. This time I was Smee. Violet Sangston found me while I was searching for a hiding place. That game didn't last long. Soon there were twelve people and the game was over. Violet felt cold and wanted a jacket. Her husband went up to their bedroom to fetch it. As soon as he'd gone, Reggie touched me on the arm. He was looking pale and sick. Quick, he whispered. I've got to talk to you. Something horrible has happened. We went into the breakfast room. What's the matter? I asked. I don't know. You were Smee last time, weren't you? Well, of course, I didn't know who Smee was. While Mother and the others ran to the west side of the house and found you, I went east. There's a deep clothes cupboard in my bedroom. It looked like a good hiding place. I thought that perhaps Smee might be there. I opened the door in the dark and touched somebody's hand. Smee? I whispered. There was no answer. I thought I'd found Smee. Well, I don't understand it, but I suddenly had a strange, cold feeling. I can't describe it, but I felt that something was wrong. So I turned on my electric torch, and there was nobody there. Now I'm sure I touched a hand, and nobody could get out of the cupboard because I was standing in the doorway. What do you think? You imagined that you touched a hand, I said. He gave a short laugh. I knew you'd say that, he said. Of course I imagined it. That's the only explanation, isn't it? I agreed with him. I could see that he still felt shaken. Together we returned to the sitting room for another game of Smee. The others were all ready and waiting to start again. Perhaps it was my imagination, although I'm almost sure that it wasn't. But I had a feeling that nobody was really enjoying the game any more, but everybody was too polite to mention it. All the same, I had the feeling that something was wrong. All the fun had gone out of the game. Something deep inside me was trying to warn me. Take care, it whispered. Take care. There was some unnatural, unhealthy influence at work in the house. Why did I have this feeling? Because Jack Sangston had counted thirteen people instead of twelve? Because his son imagined he'd touched someone's hand in an empty cupboard? I tried to laugh at myself, but I didn't succeed. Well, we started again. While we were all chasing the unknown Smee, we were all as noisy as ever, but it seemed to me that most of us were just acting. We were no longer enjoying the game. At first, I stayed with the others, but for several minutes, no Smee was found. I left the main group and started searching on the first floor at the west side of the house, and there, while I was feeling my way along, I bumped into a pair of human knees. I put out my hand and touched a soft, heavy curtain. Then I knew where I was. 
There were tall, deep windows with window seats at the end of the passage. The curtains reached to the ground. Someone was sitting in the corner of one of the window seats behind a curtain. Aha! I thought, I've caught Smee. So I pulled the curtain to one side and touched a woman's arm. It was a dark, moonless night outside. I couldn't see the woman sitting in the corner of the window seat. Smee? I whispered. There was no answer. When Smee is challenged, he or she does not answer. So I sat down beside her to wait for the others. Then I whispered, What's your name? And out of the darkness beside me, the whisper came, Brenda Ford. I didn't know the name, but I guessed at once who she was. I knew every girl in the house by name except one, and that was the tall, pale, dark girl. So here she was sitting beside me on the window seat. Shut in between a heavy curtain and a window. I was beginning to enjoy the game. I wondered if she was enjoying it too. I whispered one or two rather ordinary questions to her and received no answer. Smee is a game of silence. It's a rule of the game that Smee and the person or persons who have found Smee have to keep quiet. This, of course, makes it harder for the others to find them. But there was nobody else about. I wondered, therefore, why she was insisting on silence. I spoke again and got no answer. I began to feel a little annoyed. Perhaps she's one of those cold, clever girls who have a poor opinion of all men, I thought. She doesn't like me, and she's using the rules of the game as an excuse for not speaking. Well, if she doesn't like sitting here with me, I certainly don't want to sit with her. I turned away from her. I hope somebody finds us soon, I thought. As I sat there, I realised that I disliked sitting beside this girl very much indeed. That was strange. The girl I'd seen at dinner had seemed likeable in a cold kind of way. I noticed her and wanted to know more about her. But now I felt really uncomfortable beside her. The feeling of something wrong, something unnatural, was growing. I remember touching her arm and I trembled with horror. I wanted to jump up and run away. I prayed that someone else would come along soon. Just then I heard light footsteps in the passage. Someone on the other side of the curtain brushed against my knees. The curtain moved to one side, and a woman's hand touched my shoulder. Smee! whispered a voice that I recognised at once. It was Mrs. Gorman. Of course she received no answer. She came and sat down beside me, and at once I felt very much better. It's Tony Jackson, isn't it? she whispered. Yes, I whispered back. You're not Smee, are you? No, she's on my other side. She reached out across me. I heard her fingernails scratch a woman's silk dress. Hello, Smee. How are you? Who are you? Oh, it's against the rules to talk. Never mind, Tony, we'll break the rules. Do you know, Tony, this game is beginning to annoy me a little. I hope they aren't going to play it all evening. I'd like to play a nice quiet game altogether beside a warm fire. Me too, I agreed. Can't you suggest something to them? There's something rather unhealthy about this particular game. I'm sure I'm being very silly, but I can't get rid of the idea that we've got an extra player, somebody who ought not to be here at all. That was exactly how I felt, but I didn't say so. However, I felt very much better. Mrs. Gorman's arrival had chased away my fears. We sat talking. I wonder when the others will find us, said Mrs. Gorman. After a time, we heard the sound of feet and young Reggie's voice shouting, Hello? Hello? Is anybody there? Yes, I answered. Is Mrs. Gorman with you? Yes. What happened to you? You've both got forfeits. We've been waiting for you for hours. But you haven't found Smee yet, I complained. You haven't, you mean. I was Smee this time. 
But Smee's here with us, I cried. Yes, agreed Mrs Gorman. The curtain was pulled back and we sat looking into the eye of Reggie's electric torch. I looked at Mrs Gorman and then on my other side, between me and the wall, was an empty place on the window seat. I stood up at once. Then I sat down again. I was feeling very sick and the world seemed to be going round and round. There was somebody here, I insisted, because I touched her. So did I, said Mrs Gorman, in a trembling voice. And I don't think anyone could leave this window seat without us knowing. Reggie gave a shaky little laugh. I remembered his unpleasant experience earlier that evening. Someone's been playing jokes, he said. Are you coming down? We were not very popular when we came down to the sitting room. I found the two of them sitting behind a curtain on a window seat, said Reggie. I went up to the tall, dark girl. So you pretended to be Smee and then went away, I accused her. She shook her head. Afterwards we all played cards in the sitting room, and I was very glad. Sometime later Jack Sangston wanted to talk to me. I could see that he was rather cross with me, and soon he told me the reason. Tony, he said, I suppose you're in love with Mrs Gorman, that's your business. But please don't make love to her in my house during a game. You kept everyone waiting, it was very rude of you, and I'm ashamed of you. But we weren't alone, I protested. There was somebody else there, someone who was pretending to be Smee. I believe it was that tall, dark girl, Miss Ford. She whispered a name to me. Of course, she refused to admit it afterwards. Jack Sangston stared at me. Miss who? he breathed. Brenda Ford, she said. Jack put a hand on my shoulder. Look here, Tony, he said. I don't mind a joke, but enough is enough. We don't want to worry the ladies. Brenda Ford is the name of the girl who broke her neck on the stairs. She was playing hide-and-seek here ten years ago. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked room today, didn't you? How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? Alfred McClelland Burridge was an English writer who was born in London in 1889. Both his father and his uncle were professional writers. At a relatively young age, Burridge himself began to write fiction to support his family. As well as being a writer full-time, Burridge was a soldier in the First World War. He volunteered as a member of the Artist Rifles, um, that which was appropriate given that he was an artist. But the Artist Rifles was later famous in the Second World War when it became one of the uh, primary special forces units of the British Army, the 21st Regiment Special Air Service. But of course, that was after Burridge's time. Burridge wrote a lot of stories in his professional career, but is primarily remembered for his ghost stories, of which this is one. No less an authority than M.R. James praised Burridge's books. And if we remember, M.R. James had very distinct ideas about what makes up a good ghost story. He believed that ghosts should be terrifying, as most of his own stories, in fact, are. Um, and, and I think that's what's got James all the fame down the years, because he's actually quite scary. The other kind of ghost stories that go down well are the amiable ghost stories. Well, James didn't uh, think much of those, and Burridge hasn't written any, certainly not in this, this particular story. Um, Burridge wrote his first collection of ghost stories, Some Ghost Stories, was printed in 1927, and this story, Smee, is taken from his second collection, Someone in the Room, which came out in 1931. It's a clever little story, I think. I think it works. 
it is very good at creating atmosphere. Um, one of the things, of course, that we have in horror movies and horror stories is people wandering around in the dark because the dark enhances our fear factor. But in most cases, there's no real good reason why there should be. I think Burridge is um, clever in that he's built this whole story around the premise that there is a very good reason for them to be walking around. He also does a nice little trick in misdirecting us, or perhaps more correctly, misdirecting himself. As the story goes along, of course, the narrator, the uh, Tony Jackson, the protagonist, is trying to talk himself about why this couldn't be so. This ghost um, haunting can't be real. There must be good reasons. And he sets it up so that Jackson at least can believe that the, the, the female isn't the one who fell down the stairs, Brenda Ford, but in fact um, the cold, dark, haughty girl he quite took a like to at the beginning whose name he never catches. So that's quite well built into the story. I think he doesn't fool us. I think that certainly I guessed that in fact it wasn't this dark-haired, cold girl. Or I thought maybe that in fact she wasn't really there and in fact even at the even at the meal she was a ghost. But th- this woman, the dark-haired, clever girl, isn't the ghost. She's just a complete slate, sleight of hand. Um, and he puts it down to she is one of those women who do not have a high opinion of men, as if there were such women in the world. That's perhaps the least believable thing of the story. Um, So it's a quite nice little story. It's Christmas Eve. You need a chill on Christmas Eve, and hopefully you're listening to this alone in the dark as the snow is falling. But you might be listening to it on the 3rd of June. I don't know. So there we are. That's that's another short one for Christmas Eve. I'm hoping to do some more when I get the time. But I will keep pumping the stuff out. Don't worry about that. Um, yes, I, I want to say thank you to... Somebody actually bought me a coffee, so thank you ever such a lot for that. Mandy Donaldson West bought me a coffee, so that was my first ever coffee through Kofi or coffee. So I'm really, um, really pleased and said some very kind things. And then on the Instagram feed, somebody else said some very kind things. We've got another five-star rating, so it's all very gratifying and it makes it all worthwhile. Enjoy doing it as well. Enjoy reading the stories out. I've got another live event next Wednesday, which is, yeah, although you're listening to this on Christmas Eve, so it's already happened. I hope it went well. You never can tell, but it should do. We've got a good crew on our side. So there we are, yes. So everything's going absolutely splendidly. I was in Amsterdam last week, um, last weekend. That was good. Um Spent two days in a boat, on a big boat in the bottom with the engine and the throbbing engine and the heat. Uh, so that was that was an experience, but Amsterdam was very nice. So keep listening, keep rating, keep sharing. Visit the website www.classicghosts.com. Everything's good. Have a lovely, wonderful Christmas if I don't speak to you before. And um, we'll hopefully we'll meet up at least over the airwaves um, before New Year. Okay, you take care.